Um, <laughs> I have a problem with this script. Pl Pluto's not a planet. That's a lot of pops with Pluto. There's a lot of yeah. discussion about it and that, yes. Yeah. Oh, uh, new evidence. But we're probably going to talk about the... Uh, yeah, my the day, wine Pluto was not a planet. Yeah. <laughs> what were you talking about lunch the other day? Some new scientists just published a thing. They think there is no ninth planet, that it's a big ice disk in the Kuiper Belt. Mm. But they haven't found that yet either. <laughs> I would rather talk about... Uh, Gustan Zarjar. Gustan? Gustan? You know why they haven't found it? It's Don't black ice. Ah, it's black, it's black ice. ice. Yeah, black my, ice. I think he just deaded my mic because <coughs> yeah. he doesn't like me. Yeah. Mine too. Rude. Yeah. That was very rude, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Ask Tom if he cares. <laughs> Tom, do you care? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> why not? What's with the book? I found, I found this humorous. Humorous. That is funny. <laughs> is that a humorous? Yes. <laughs> That's funny. I didn't know we were supposed to bring props. I'm propless. You're not supposed to bring, bring props. They don't work very well on the radio. You brought a bowl of water. That's good. Yes. Mm -hmm. No, that's Scott's water. Yeah, but that's, that's my bowl of water. What is this creepy <laughs> residue? What is that? <laughs> those are the old hinges that... Yeah, that's I, 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 could, I, could have, I could have something I would call it, but it would not be appropriate God. for a family-oriented show. They, they floated off of the stamps. Oh, they're floaters. Yep. That's That was Left really too. gross. Kind of looked right mucusy. three-point line. So that hinge thing destroyed the stamp or just kind of reduced its value? Well, if it's used, it doesn't matter. You you soak it up just so you have a nice clean stamp. Which mm -hmm. is what I do. Gotcha. On a mint stamp, it definitely anything that messes up the gum decreases the value. So back in the day, how did they store a new stamp? You if, a couple of ways, <laughs> but the, this better be recorded. <laughs> oh, are we recording? <clears throat> I don't know. Do you want to start the show sometime today? Oh, I was just asking an interesting question. I thought. Oh, uh, no, it is. Go ahead, answer the question. Um, you would collect like blocks of four. And you'd hinge the top ones, and the bottom ones would be mint pristine. Ah. And before they invented the glassine hinge, people would take, um, they would tits. either use glue, like iron glue or, or some oh, sort of... Oh, yeah, but how did they preserve it or, in condition? Or they would take off a piece of the salvage, yeah. fold it over, and use it as a hinge. Ridiculous. Yeah, they, they were... Ridiculous. In the old days, they were very destructive to their stamps. Well, they ready didn't have any other way. Everybody's got to go. Okay, we can go. I've been ready. That was neat, though. I wanted to hear that. We got an hour. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> go, Tom, anytime. Waiting on you, Tom. Tom, can you hear me? Are you ready to go, Tom? <laughs> Tom, are you ready? I'd have started already if you'd shut <laughs> up. <laughs> it's all you, Tom. Live. Okay, go, Tom, are you ready? <laughs> Sorry. I, I can't hear you, Tom. It's it's funny, but there is a point where it's not funny. Okay. You've crossed that point. Drats. I think he erased that point. I think oh. it's Greg's fault, not mine. Are we ready? Yes. Five, four, three, two, one, zero, ignition, liftoff. Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps.
live from the Postal Annex, far, far away from where your letters are actually supposed to go. This is the award-winning stamp show here today, episode number 203, brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center. This is Tom. This is Scott. This is Greg. This is Cash. This is Mark. And Mark, you have something you just found, didn't you? Yeah, and uh, Scott number 3236, the 1998 American art sheet. There's actually uh, at least uh, three different perf hole sizes, a small, an intermediate, and a large. And we're going to take a close look at that and uh, measure the perfs and see if we can uh, maybe get Scott Catalog to list them. Well, I thought it said 97 on the sheet. Yeah, it, it says it's a 97, isn't it? Right. Uh yeah, well, copyrighted 1997, but the sheet is actually issued August 27, 1998. Okay, because ah. this is the American art stamp with all the pictures? Right, it's a sheet of 20. So 20 people different. need to go out there. If, if, if you want to speculate in something, there is a large hole. Don't buy of, stamps. <laughs> there, is a, there is a large hole, a small hole, and a medium hole, right? At least, yeah. I prefer the large hole. Yeah, cricket. Species. I, I I just couldn't comment on that. <laughs> Sailor's mind, you know. Yeah. So, uh, the, but the perf hole size is throughout the entire sheet, right? Yes, it appears so. Yeah. So uh, this may be something interesting and a new find. How, how'd you find it? Did you just have a bunch of these and you go, "Hey, look at this"? Well, it just so happens that uh, I stock a bunch of these in 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 my own stock. And so when I put them in my book to, uh, in my stock book, I fan them out. And when you fan them out, suddenly the perf holes, uh, you know, become visible because they're against a darker background. And I was like, hey, it's very these are obvious. different. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite obvious. How would that occur? And well, more importantly, why? Yeah. Well, I think why is just because they were doing maintenance on the, the perforator or they changed out the uh, perforating pins at some point during the printing process. And so, you know, over the course of a couple of days when they printed that issue, I'm sure at some point they stopped the press and changed out the pins. And you went from older uh, worn pins to newer, tighter clearance, or possibly even a different size pin. Oh, no, these are definitely different size holes. Well, I I understand that, but... The, uh, it's not a question of spacing. It's a question of you know. It's one of those things that, that in the post yeah. office's point of view doesn't really matter whether you have right. you know perf holes that are maybe you know a few thousandths of an inch different in size, and uh, you know when you start approaching the four, five, six, ten thousandths of an inch difference, mm-hmm. you know it starts to become noticeable to anybody who's really closely paying attention. So you have a, how many do you have there? About 10? Uh, yeah, about nine or 10 sheets here. Which one is, looks like it's the rare one? I mean, this is totally... Well, it's it would be totally anecdotal at this exactly, point because yeah. of the millions of sheets that were printed. Right. So what does this do to a collector? How do you distinguish this if you graded that sheet? Do you distinguish it or is it something that's ignored? We only distinguish it if it's listed in the catalog. Now we'll or, sing, or unless we'll, it's requested, right? And then and we can verify it. Couldn't, it. couldn't you? Because sometimes our sometimes our verification is the basis for a listing. Yeah, right. That's what I mean. You're an authority. Can't your authority now establish there is a difference in these? 
yes, we, we could certify it and then send it off to Scott's. And then they would try they, to determine a value, figure out which one is but what they would do is they, or they, whatever. They would first take our information and verify it. Right. Um, just like we would take a submitter's information uh, on something and verify it. Uh, if we can't verify it, then we contact the customer or we or we just summarily say, nah, go or back we, to the drawing board. Yeah, or we contact the post office. Oh, would, would the post office respond to something like that? Yes, they oh, do. They absolutely the do. All the time. Oh, very cool. Now, the interesting thing is the Bureau of Engraving and Printing, when they were printing stamps, they had a direct office that actually dealt with the public on questions. And uh, now that stamps are printed by different private printers. The private printers will not talk to the public on stamp details. You mean there was postage tech support back in the day? Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, but now you have to go to the post office, and the post office has to go to the printer to find out. And so it, it takes even longer. So what's the Scott number so people can pull these aside? It is 3236. So Scott number 3236 Uh Start collecting them up because they could be worth millions. Well, do you guys know what a standard uh, perforation hole for that arrow should be? What size? Well, we can go to other sheets of yeah. the, that uh, that and year and look and see what was out there. Then yeah. you might be able to determine which one would be more rare then, potentially. Potentially. That's but, the, you know, you may have had half of them done one day and half of them done the next, and overnight they changed the pins. Who knows? That's cool. It could be 50-50. It could be 90-10. Who knows? Now, when people come across stuff like this, you know, some anomaly they discover, just a collector, who do they submit it to? What's well, the governing of, body? A lot of times that'll get yeah. submitted to the philatelic press, and there'll be an article <laughs> about it, and then some guy will think it's really cool, and he'll go after it like a dog with a bone, and, uh, you know... When Some, do you guys and Scott's and, get involved? Or sometimes it'll just fall on deaf ears and people look at each other and go, well, who cares? The expertizing services are impartial third-party reviewers of the fact. Right. So somebody else has to do the research. So if you've discovered this, you do nothing with it? Well, no, no, no. no. We, you do the research. Yeah, we would have... What if these were submitted? Yeah, we won't, and, we won't contact the post office. No, no, we no. won't contact the printer. But what we would do is we would say... Uh, you know, we would issue, let's say, two certs. You get the small hole and the large hole. You get a cert on the small hole saying that it is a small hole this size. Then you get a cert on the one with the large hole and it says it is a large hole this size. We are the impartial third party. Mm. Right. We're not saying which one is the variety. Then you take We're those just two saying certs. this one has this size holes and this one has right. this size holes. So it's just a description on the cert. Then Correct. you take those two certs and you go to... Mr. Klutzel or somebody like that, and you say, look what I got. I got the small hole ones. I got the small yeah. hole or large hole or whatever. Right. And then they have a decision to make. And their decision is, is it a significant enough difference to warrant a catalog list? Got it. And they okay. also have to they also have to determine, okay, which one's the major listing and which one's the variety. Right. That's their job. That's not our job. That's a big job. You could get that so wrong. Without oh, yeah. a, a large enough oh, sample. Oh, absolutely yeah. you could. Oh, and they do. Uh, and sometimes things like that will take years to get listed. I can simply, see that. Simply because the research has to be, uh, you have to have a, a fully representative sampling. So well, that, so what's the number again? So well, do they have a catalog of those things in research? That'd be neat, right? What's currently uh, being researched? I, I believe the editor probably yeah. has that. So it's like, uh, this is number 3236, and then you'll have 3236A. 
large hole. No, well, well there's, there's already in 36, this case, 36 A through F. In this oh, case, well, it probably would not be a lettered listing. Okay. Um, just based on other listings I've seen with small holes and large holes. It would be a sub. It would just be a variety yeah. listing. And then in the beginning, it would have a dash for a value because nobody knows what the more value than, is yet. More than likely. And it might take, you know... It might take years. It might never get a value yeah. uh, because if it doesn't get, ever get a value, it's probably because nobody cares. Yeah. If it does get a value, then some people are chasing after it and some dealer has figured out he can charge more for it. And then on the other side, you know, it could be, you know, this sheet is $13 or whatever it is. How mm -hmm. much is it? Uh, 18 catalog. $18 catalog. And then the other one is like $200 catalog. And then everybody in the world will care. And then they'll find out if the $200 is actually a real price, whether it goes up or down. And how's that established? Just the open market? Yeah. Yes. In a couple of years, they'll say these are not selling for $200 anymore. They're selling for $75. It's still a premium item, but it's not. How often does that happen in this industry where something is found like this and it goes through this whole dog and pony until it becomes Once a something? year, multiple <laughs> times. Really? Yeah. Yeah, quite often. Well, that's cool. It keeps it alive. It's neat. You're always trying to find that different thing. Yeah, yeah we were just talking yesterday about the riverboat uh, perforation variety, mm -hmm. right? Um, the aquarium fish uh, yeah. with the with the tagging variety. Well, the the tagging variety is actually a lettered. Well, both of those are actually lettered varieties. Well, so remember, so they've gone through that process. Yes. Well, if you remember the bugs sheet, the bugs bunny sheet, the bugs bunny sheet has two perforation varieties. There is actually a third perforation variety. It only occurred in the ones that were put in the picture frames and, and sold as souvenirs. So if you took the sheet out of the picture frame, it has a different perf variety. The person did all the research, submitted to us. We confirmed it. We issued the cert with the new perf variety. It went to uh, Scott's catalog. Scott's catalog said, eh, we really, you know. They, they said, who cares? Exactly. Because it was a, it was a, it was not a, what they considered an issue thing. It was a, it was you had to buy the the framed collectible. It was not uh, issued for use as postage. Well, I mean, and I think I mean it's, was, it's similar to the circus sheet from a few years ago. Uh, I think it's just they didn't care to issue a third perf variety because it was a minor perf variety. So it, they're called varieties. Yes. Yes. And so even if they don't officially acknowledge a variety, a variety could still exist that oh, people absolutely. trade. Yeah. It's just not official in any uh, catalog. Just yeah. like the bug sheet, the bug sheet definitely has that third perf variety, but it's not listed. And I'm I'm totally into third perfs. <laughs> I, I mean I mean you, you go into varieties, and just go a hundred years ago when most stamps were of us printed in a single color, and there are lots and lots of shades. Some of the shades have letters, and some of them don't. Some of them are very are are more subtle than others. Some of them stick out like a sore thumb. Sometimes that's associated with a special, uh, a, a different printing where the stamp was taken off the press to print something else and then it was put back on six months or a year later and they didn't quite match up the inks and so yeah. you can tell. Uh, sometimes years later. And uh, so sometimes those are lettered and sometimes they're not. It's at the discretion of the catalog editor. Well, it's kind of neat. Anybody in the stamp community can kind of identify one and, and try to bring it all the way up to a catalog number, but... It, doesn't ultimately matter if it, he discovered it. He discovered it, and it's out there. That's kind of cool. Well, well sort of like sci uh, scientists in biology, 
they all want to like find yeah. their specific species of whatever. You know, there's a like, new phylum. I want to new find a new phylum, right? Then I'm like thir- known. Yeah, there's eighteen thousand different types of ant. <laughs> is it really? And so, like, every person is like, "Oh man, I found a new ant. I get to call this the Cagius Pseus, or something <laughs> like that." And you know, that's that's like uh, the badge of honor is you got a species named. Ah, so, so you know, I should, I should petition this to be thirty six or thirty two thirty six Mark. <laughs> <Yeah>. Nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs> It's the Maybe. Mark IV per variety. Right. Yeah, yeah that's good. It could be like Mark per four. You right. know? And have the guy with the anvil. I right, mark this per three. I wish I, I wish I knew that when I got mine listed. <laughs> oh, that's funny. The, uh, the Bureau of uh, imprint, Printing and Engraving sheet. We got ones that were submitted, a whole bunch that were submitted with the uh, double impression. Right. Yeah. And I'm going through those for the customer, and I found out uh, half of them were untagged. Untagged. <laughs> untagged. Un- no ta- no tagging right, on the paper. Right, right, they were right. missing yeah. the uh, tagging ink. Yeah, yeah. And it was not a listed variety at the time. It is now. So, Yami, and you did that. I did that. Now, oh, cool. Hmm? So, is it like well, awards well, out every year for PS, finding the PS most PSE variety? PSE did that. I didn't do it. Well, you were the discoverer, so you, yeah. Yeah, that's my Pluto. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's three double. Double impression varieties. That's the, you're talking about the two dollar bureau. Yes. Yeah, the mm-hmm. souvenir sheet that has the double printings in it. Yeah. There's two two double transfers, a double impression, and a double impression with tagging omitted. Ah. Four. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And Tom is responsible. <coughs> wow. Tom, Tom's responsible for the tagging omitted one. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Tom tag omission. The two dollar Tom. <laughs> and the interesting thing is, uh, I'm not sure if they are all owned by one person, but I think they pretty much are, because it was just something that nobody paid any attention to. Yeah. Great. So the purse is going to become a thing, and now there's going to be fraudulent small and big purse. Well, <laughs> well, and the funny, the funny, <laughs> the funny thing is about that is you go through, and it's like. You know, you just you're just checking the tagging as a matter of course. You know, <laughs> yep, yep. Whoa, whoa, hey, what's this? <laughs> yeah. You know, that's but that's how a lot of these varieties are discovered. You know, just right. like Mark did that and just like happened to fan them out and went, Hey, wait a minute, this doesn't look right. Yep. Inconsistencies. Well, you don't get that more, no, more noticeable than some of the one cent Franklin Scott numbers. Oh yeah. Oh, is that the one where you can barely tell the difference? Yeah. Because there's so many. Yes. They release them for so long. Yeah, sort of. They're all kind of that salmon-y color. Pigeon blood or whatever it is, right? That color one? No, they're Carmen. Oh, that Carmen. No, Carmine. no, no, the blue one cent Franklin. Oh, blue. Oh, the blue one cent Franklin, yeah. Stamp collecting wouldn't have been that interesting <laughs> when it's the same design. And you're like, there's a different spec. What? Everyone's freaking out. Did you get the spec? It's the only difference in the well, stamp. They tried to do that on the well, um, the the two dollar Ginny reissues, where people were trying to get the flat tire variety yeah. on one of the planes. The broken wheel. The broken wheel or flat tire because the plane had a spot Those are where it wasn't round. Those are different. The flat tire and the broken wheel are different. Oh jeez. <laughs> <laughs> 
and which one's listed in Scott catalog? Or 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 the one with the frame neither line, one, right? Exactly, yeah. neither one. Or with the frame line. Why are they not lead? listed? Is it, it was it just a, a, a printing flaw? It was a printing yeah. anomaly, not a variety. It's so the, a printing anomaly is not a variety. The Correct. Ca- the catalog li- listing guidelines will list constant plate flaws, but not transient plate flaws. And how so, do you keep track of what these so, things are worth and uh, uh, what's out an, there? An example would be you're in the printing pre- plant uh, and a fly comes in and lands on the paper as it's going through being printed and it gets squashed. <laughs> okay? A SWAT variety. And, <laughs> and, and so you get a few stamps, but eventually it's gone. The fly guts are gone. The fly guts are eventually gone. It's like when the bug hits your windshield. After four or five swipes, it's gone. So how is that in the stamp collecting community acknowledged and continued? And you They're called EFOs. It? They're called errors, yeah. freaks, and oddities. Ah. And those fall into the freak category. They have a circus that goes around once a year with those? No, they're just weird. Yeah. <laughs> like but, a freak show? But that'd people be great. do collect those. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a freak show. That'd be fun. They are it's, premium it's, items. It's things like foldovers that don't right. completely Cash cause into the one side stuff. to be... Yeah, very much. That's, yeah. that's Cash's new exhibit after he's done his other one. Mm-hmm. The freak show. The freak show. It's cool. You know, a, a foldover can cause a freak because then you, your perforations are all messed up. How do they get into the marketplace? So something gets folded at the printing. Well, some they don't just discard it. Well, they some, don't care. Sometimes what happens they is blow it when when they when they um, cut these sheets down into panes, the, they'll cut stacks of a hundred at a time. Yeah, yeah. And then they just go and their registration gets messed up. Sometimes. And then they're uh, wrapped. Nobody ever and sees. Nobody, 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 nobody from the post office right. sees the sheets it. in the middle. Yeah. Okay. Right. So unless the the person at the post office receiving it, opening them up and selling them, catches it, it it just goes. And sometimes you know the the clerk has a stack of them in the, in their drawer, and he pulls them out and you you flip through them and you find it. And you say, okay, I'll buy these four, and sandwiched in the middle, and you know the clerk will verify you got four sheets, but. They may not even see it if if they don't actually separate each single one. If they just fan them, count them, and sell them to you, you've just bought you them over as the you're, counter. As you're going, as you're going through the stack and you realize one of them's in perforate and then you grab like the four, like two above it and two below it, I'll take these five. Yeah. No, cool. <laughs> and there are people out there that buy entire bricks. You know, they'd be packages of 100 of a single issue looking for these varieties. Okay, I bu- I'll buy a brick. Okay, they hand you the brick. They don't count them. They hand you the brick because they're supposed to be pre-counted. They're wrapped. They're sealed. Well, that's how here's the, your, here's the your sheets. Yeah, yeah, the Imperf Magic souvenir sheet was like that. You know, they didn't. Somebody didn't say, "Oh, let's check all these." They just went out in a brick. Somebody said, "Hey, look, these are Imperf." No, they didn't buy the brick. They bought them over the counter individually, <laughs> and the clerk didn't notice, and the guy buying them didn't notice till he left. Yeah. Then he said, hey, wait. And he went back, do you have any more of these? <laughs> yeah. And at that point, they go, whoa, 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 we're not selling them. <laughs> I always envision these things as like a silly movie in my head, like, you know, Postal Wars, Freak Hunters. <laughs> and, they, you know, just like this interaction. No, I'll take them. Thank you. <laughs> it's just so funny. I was at the post office a couple months ago, and some lady came in, and she had a sheet of stamps that was imperfect that shouldn't have been. And she wanted to return them because she they... She couldn't get them Did apart. Did you buy it from her? No, they they 
they took him back and uh some pretty bad freak hunting there yeah and and uh, you I know, can't peel the, him off the sheet. I want to return him to defect him. Sometimes you're like, "What is wrong with you?" <laughs> now, now, like the the clerks are not supposed to resell them, and I just didn't feel comfortable walking up to her and telling her, "Hey, look, I'll I'll give you ten bucks for that partial sheet of stamps." I would have tackled her. And <laughs> I, I feel very I, comfortable yeah. with that. <laughs> Shoved the twenty in her mouth. <laughs> She was already, say anything. She was already using a walker or a cane. Oh, then it makes it easier. Don't even have to tackle her. Just a little backhand. Give me those. But yeah, you don't yeah. know what you got. You don't deserve them. Yeah, I, I didn't know if I was. It was appropriate to do that or not. So I just kind of kept my mouth shut. But uh, sorry, I had to tisk you there. Yeah, well. And a walker. I mean, but, you could have taken her. But so, <laughs> some. Uh, some postal clerks are totally oblivious, and they'll they'll turn around and sell them back to you if you go up and say, "Hey, can I buy those?" Just out of curiosity, what would those have been worth potentially? Mm, uh, if they were minimum of twenty five a stamp if they were relatively twenty five bucks if they per stamp. Possibly, oh, I'm yeah. so angry at you right now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, it depends on how many get found. I mean, if you find a sheet, well, we know there was some there. There. Well, if you find it, if you find a sheet, and it's the only one that's ever been found, uh, it could potentially be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Really angering me right let's, now. Let's just go by this. We know a certain amount of magic imperf sheets got out. How much were they going for in Chicago? Still, thousand dollars. Well, that's because one sold at public auction for a thousand dollars, and that was for a they, sheet of three. Normally, they don't. Yeah, a buck and a half of postage for a thousand bucks. Wow, yeah. these ones she was returning. What were they? Uh, the the postal, the face value, or whatever it's called. Uh, it was probably it was less than ten dollars. We need to work with your serveness. <laughs> <laughs> That's, the, that's a neat story. Too. I, did, said, I didn't notice until she'd already approached. Cool story. I didn't know until she'd already approached the postal clerk. Oh, I thought clerk. you were looking over her shoulder and, and no. wondering if I should tackle her. I was in a different line. Oh, okay. And I didn't know until she was Turned telling. Turned in, yeah. Yeah, and it's like at that point, I don't know if I can. If it's so, we're not talking about taking out the lady. We're talking about diving over the counter or running yes. up during their conversation, smacking both of them, grabbing it and run. Yeah, throwing a throwing a twenty down on the counter, snagging the stamps, and let them sort it out <laughs> as you run out of the post office. Yeah, you have you guys. I mean, epic it, story it's, there. It's one thing if you're both standing in line and you just happen to it happens to come up, but. It's totally different. If she's already started the conversation with the postal employee. Oh, I would have butted in like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be handing them both a Hunsky. Here, both of you, shut up. You didn't see me. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Ben says, <laughs> shut the F up. <laughs> okay, so are we back on script or have we completely divulged into uh, well, we've, chaos? We've... No. We've gone to toward the chaos script. Let's we go don't back. need no stinking script. <laughs> That's right. We got more interesting you stuff really to talk about. You guys really should never invite me. I am a horrible influence. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It's it's more fun that way. I'm just let's ignorant and have bad opinions. Let's, <laughs> let's do this week in like tackling old ladies <laughs> and leave the shipping for next one. What? How, how late are we? Uh, oh, I got a crazy comic shipping minutes. story. No, no, no. I mean, we've already gone like... No, we're good. We have a uh, half... 
We have 40 minutes if we need it. Oh, okay. I got a great comic shipping story. I'm sure it'll bore the crap of your stamp collectors. Well, go for it. No, that's exciting. It's funny. Yeah, it is kind of funny. So, uh, w- I don't to talk about the service I have or anything, but any what, collector beware. What happened is a uh, collector was sending off some uh, high value comics, um, uh, variants of one in 1,000. Basically, 1,000 regular copies have to be printed before they'll sell one of these one in 1,000s. So, to get one, you know, they cost thousands of dollars just for the retailer to buy one. Some of these are quite valuable. And he was shipping off 25 of such variants of various uh, grades and different titles and whatnot. <laughs> Had probably taken a year to collect these things and didn't spend the $26 it would have taken to insure them. And when he got a box back, it wasn't his box, it was some other box the Postal Service put his remains in. It looks like the box he had sent had inadvertently went to a shredding device, (laughs) and they put all his stuff back in another box and sent it back to him with a sorry, and I guess he gets his $50. That was the the automatic insurance on priority. Poor bastard. So he he lost them, or they were damaged? They were shredded, torn apart. He thinks a machine did it. And some of these, I guess, were... I think the unreplaceable. Lo- oh, yeah, there there could be one in five that exist. That's it. I, I mean, I'm I'm talking courier service. What were you putting him in the mail for in the first place? He said, I, I packed them really well, and uh, not well enough. No, he described the packaging. I'm like, wow, that's a lot of packaging. But um, you know, shredding device doesn't really care about that. So the the problem is doesn't uh, doesn't matter when I the just, forklift just, is doing donuts on no, it. No, I just can't comprehend it. You know, if something's worth a certain amount of value, you ship it in different ways. I mean, the minute something hits ten thousand dollars for a comic, you, you might consider courier, it, you know, or or at least insuring the living crap out of it and sending it in a very good way. Um, I don't know. It's just saving twenty six dollars just hurts my heart. And the way I ship it, my I'm insurance, he could have used mine because he's using one of my grading accounts. Um, it's a service I have, but we're testing it. This test went great, by the way. So uh, he could have insured it for seven dollars. <laughs> but how even, how if many, you, how even if you insure rough, it, you won't even rust, tell me the value. Rough I think estimate. He's too embarrassed. Rough estimate. Oh, I don't. I, I honestly, I don't know. Five figures. Um, now I'm thinking like twenty-five thousand, maybe. Yeah. So you'd have to convince the postal service that that's what the value. Well, they give him fifty bucks. Right, but but even if he had it insured. Um, it would be difficult to, to convince the Postal Service to no, pay you would out go, 25000 No, you wouldn't go with Postal Service in, insurance on that. You'd go with something else. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't even know what that would cost with Postal. Yeah. Well, I if you have, insuring it for some If you're other collecting value. something and you have that sort of value, generally you have a collectibles insurance yeah. policy. Yeah. Uh, some people have a rider on their homeowner's insurance, but that's usually uh-huh. quite a bit more expensive than if you get a specific collectibles policy. And the value is different too. Until they're graded, until they're slabbed. In in my industry, comics worth two things. It's like Schrodinger's cat, right? Yeah. It's in it's in the box, but is that comic worth this much or that much? I'm not sure until you grade it. Mm. So you know it's subjective a- until it's actually certified and and slapped. Unlike you guys, you just like, hey, it's worth this. Throw it back at them. They can lick <laughs> it and play with it all they want. <laughs> <laughs> Makes no difference. Well, we, don't, we won't touch the comic like with even gloved hands. Just look at it barely. It's too much light on it. Put it in the dark. 
No, yeah, seriously, light damages comics, right? That's one of the problems with the comics, though. It's like, you know, if you breathe hard on it, it's damaged. How it's dare like, you? Really? <laughs> There's how moisture d- in your breath. What how, are you doing? How dare you want to open it and actually read it? <laughs> well, you, you want those white pages. You don't want that off-white, so make sure no one ever looks at it. Put it in the black bag. <laughs> it's so sad. <laughs> but uh, it's just two different industries. Anyway, uh, you guys ever had any crazy shipping with stamps that way that just went totally awry? Uh, we every once in a while, um, the vast majority of stuff just goes through the mail normally. But every once in a while, a package will arrive and it's wet. Or see, I didn't think that hurt stamps, but you you don't want to well, disturb the gum, right? For a, a mint or what do you call it? Use, stamp? use, use stamps. You're you're probably going to be okay if it gets a little damp. But uh, mint stamps, absolutely not. You don't want to chance that water thing. But I've I've had. Packages arrived that looked like they'd been dipped in coffee. <laughs> you know, it looked like there was some coffee ground stuck to it, and the package is brown and <laughs> damp. And you open it up, and as long as the stamps are packaged with a uh, at least one layer of plastic, no harm, no foul. And the particular package I'm thinking of actually came. The stamps had, you know, he he'd actually put them on cards like we recommend. And then he'd put the cards oh, dare they. inside a <laughs> Ziploc bag. Oh, that's got Oh, if they're in a Ziploc bag, yeah, you're, you you're have safe. Bag and board comics with the correct materials, you know, right boards with the right amount of acid are used in mylar or not. Right, but th- this you is... Guys, and then you got to wrap the, the living crap is, out of that and put freaking wood on the side. You guys just throw in an envelope with a plastic bag, you're good. But <laughs> It's a million-dollar stamp, big deal. But this is not <laughs> something that we're, you're going to store it. This is a very, very temporary... Just for transit. Yeah, even transit in uh, in comics is like, geez, right? Yeah, it's really a different world. It's kind of cool, actually. But at the same time, it does freak me out. Your, you, your stamps are kind of in this... I mean, every time you touch it, doesn't it change it? No, not really. They tongue the living yeah. crap out of the poor little thing? It doesn't hurt it? There are Actually, there are some. Like, uh, there is a sheet um, that was issued in the People's Republic of China. And it had a chalky sort of ink layer put on top of it. Really? And if you handle it, and you know how a normal piece of paper will bend? Yeah. Well, the chalk on top will scratch and chip and wrinkle and stuff like that. So finding this sheet, and it's a very expensive sheet. It costs like about $15,000 in really nice condition. Well, that's because... Yeah, that's me. <laughs> Looking at it the wrong way will cause it to crease and bend and crack. Yep. And why did and they do that? Well. Did they do that intentionally? No, it was just a printing process at the time. Ah. And uh, well, there's some other ones that are like this is not because of handling or anything, but uh, the Astropa souvenir sheet had a gum put on it, and a lot of German stamps in that time period had this really bad gum. Well, it's a gum that was formulated with hydrochloric acid. No, it's a... Sulfuric? Sulfuric acid. acid. And it turns the paper into leather. It basically makes this white, nice, clean paper look and feel like a piece of leather. And it makes it extremely brittle. Yeah. I mean, you basically, you pick it up and it'll break in half. Yeah. It's Literally. Really, it's really, really bad. Well, I it, saw an article about... Anybody model. ever send in a piece for grading? <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've actually had them, 
and it t- and the catalog actually recommends that you soak the the gum off yeah, if you have yeah. them. If it has gum. Now in the, it. in the marketplace, they the value is like five times if it has the gum. If it has the yeah, gum, yeah, yeah, you want that but sulfur all, acid, right? But they always recommend that you soak it off. So I I had a few, and I had a couple that kind of looked a little sketchy. So I threw a couple of them in a bowl of water, and they just floated into pieces. Because oh. the paper had already become brittle and broken, and the only thing holding it together was the gum. Oh, no. <laughs> so I, I lost on that deal. <laughs> wasn't there a, um, in the new Scots catalog for this year, isn't there a, in the Confederate section, isn't there a thing, I'm trying to remember where I read it, talking about some of the Confederate issues and the gum that was on them, and that the gum turns the paper brown oh yeah and it's Very you know common. what's considered the best way to preserve the stamp there's theoretically more expensive with full gum on them but keeping full gum gum on them over time ruins the stamp so is it better to try and preserve the stamp and remove the gum or try and remove or try and preserve it with the gum on it and how do you now value that how do you figure if it's that better out for, if it's better for the stamp to have the gum removed so that it doesn't destroy the stamp which way is it now more valuable? Huh. Now, where do you, like, if you're a stamp collector, this would drive you crazy. The Scott's catalog's not going to tell you those details. Where do you find this information? Actually, well, I think, the Scott catalog I think, does tell you it this. It does? Yeah. I think that For one actually was written in, in the, yeah. I think that's an article that actually appears before the Confederate section this year ah, in the 2019 okay. catalog. Okay. So they it are is, adding uh, that kind of information. Yeah. And that was, uh, that's an editorial. Trish Kaufman wrote that, I believe. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. That's That's an editorial that, uh, will only appear that one time in the catalog. Uh-huh. And then may, there may be a footnote that comes out of that that, yeah. that is added. But, um, yeah, unless you save those articles. And they've, starting put, they've started putting, I think, two articles in every year. Mm-hmm. And that was one of this year's articles. Well, as a prelude to uh, two weeks from now, I'm going to have uh, an interview at APS with uh, Hugh Wood, and I'm going to ask him specifically about people insuring things that they send through the mail. And I'm sure he's going to, like, push his insurance company, but I'm going to ask him about, you know, how to do it and what's the best way to do it from an insurance standpoint. And so that should be interesting for people who are still around in two weeks. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just in case you're planning on leaving in two weeks and you're not around. <laughs> I, I thought he was subtly threatening to murder Saul right there. So <laughs> that's what I thought he was going with. <laughs> well, if you're, you know, if you're uh, not a subscriber, click that subscribe button. And, uh, you know, in two weeks you'll get some information that's actually useful. As nothing today has been useful. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I was involved, so I'm pretty sure, yeah, it's useful. <laughs> Did we uh, follow the script pretty good? What was the thing we omitted? Shipping? We kind of played with shipping a little. Uh, pretty much everything. Weren't we talking about Pluto at one time? We haven't even touched the script yet. Oh, really? That's awesome. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we got another one for some other show. So we start in today's episode. <laughs> 203B. <laughs> What's our time? 38 minutes. All right. You want to go ahead and do this week in history? Yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah, all of them. No. I don't know. You wrote it weird, so. So today's going to be a toss-up. In 1862, Augustin Horosti. Someone correct me if I'm wrong. Augustin? 
Agustin. First vintner in Sonoma Valley, California, imports 10,000 grapevine cuttings. And also, in 1930, Clyde Tumbaugh photographs planet Pluto. Which do you want to discuss? Well, Pluto isn't a planet. I find Pluto more interesting, but I think then why the wine did you put it in the script. I think the wine relates to stamps better. Okay, then so. we'll discuss Mr. Herz- it's, been, it's been demoted. Get over it. <laughs> we'll discuss Agustan. Agustan? Agustan Harish. All right. Agustin Harasi was a Hungarian born in August of 1812 and died on July 6th, 1869. A nobleman, adventurer, traveler, writer, town builder, and pioneer winemaker in Wisconsin and California, often referred to as the father of California viticulture or the father of modern winemaking in California. He was the founder of Buena Vista Winery in Sonoma, California, and an early writer on California wine and viticulture. He also operated the first commercial steamboat on the Upper Mississippi River. In San Diego, he's... We're all over the place. (laughs) In San Diego, he is remembered as the first town marshal and the first county sheriff. In California which is on the other side of from San Diego. <laughs> he introduced more than 300 varieties of European grape. This guy got around. Yeah. And for those who have never been to California, San Diego's only about 450 <laughs> miles from where the vineyards in Northern California are. Yeah, it's part of Mexico. Well, and how far from the Mississippi River? <laughs> I didn't realize the Mississippi was in California. No, it's just a little bit east. Yeah, yeah I don't know, maybe what? 2,000 miles? Th- yeah. Or so. Yeah. Give or take. <laughs> so who cares? That's a crow's fly. <laughs> so who cares? Well, firstly, wine. Wine cares. Aw, <laughs> come on, Dad. <laughs> Secondly, wine stamps. Please put that poor suffering beast down. He was whining. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> the first federal wine stamps appeared in 1914, being the result of the Emergency Revenue Act of October 22, 1914. Among other things, the new tax law increased the federal excise tax on wine, which was to be collected through the use of new revenue stamps. All of the wine revenue stamps are somewhat similar in appearance. The stamps were printed on watermarked paper in shades of green, and most of the sheets featured roulette separations. What's a roulette separation? That's where you, instead of a perforation, which is a a hole that removes a piece of the paper... Rouletting uses a knife and cuts a little slit, and then you have a piece of paper that's not cut, and then another little slit. You typically see them small, medium, large roulettes as well. (laughs) Oh yeah. Typically, you see them like when you get a bill in the mail, and it's so that you you can tear. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. Oops. Throughout the lifetime of the wine stamp series, only seven major design types were produced yet many denominations exist for each of them. The major type of wine stamps were issued in 1914. These stamps are all inscribed series of 1914. What a coincidence. The sense denominations were issued with gum and they were perforated. All of the $2 denomination stamps were issued without gum and they are imperforate. Why with and without? They're not meant as postage, right? So why would you need one with gum anyway? 
you actually don't need any with gum because the larger ones were put on boxes. They could have been stapled to the box hmm. or stuck. Or on, shellacked. Or shellacked. Yeah, you see them a lot on barrels. They will shellac them to the side of the barrel. Can you collect them if they've been shellacked? Oh, yeah. You, you get them, man. You can. They, do they, do you they just have pieces chop of wood on back? You just chop <laughs> off a piece of wood. And you're, you're like, <laughs> label with barrel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. On, we call it on piece. <laughs> yes. <laughs> can you lick the back and oh. get drunk? No, that's funny. That it's Wow. How do you preserve something like that? It just seems you need a chisel. Used ones are uh, rather interesting sometimes because, like Scott said, you know, they will be covered with shellac. They'll have residue of whatever they were stuck to (laughs) on them. I think just like a lot of different revenue stamps, sometimes it's just revenue stamp collectors tend to be a lot less condition conscious as far as the soundness of the stamp. They are more accepting of small tears and creases and thins and things like that because... These stamps, a lot of times, were stuck to objects that had weird shapes. Uh, Playing cards, for instance, were actually folded over an edge. So if they're properly affixed, then you're likely either going to have them torn in half as you open the box of cards, or they're at least going to be creased where they were folded over the opening flap. Uh, Some of the medicine stamps. Medicine stamps. They they were were folded over the top of the cap, which was round. And, and so that when you yeah. twist the cap, it breaks the stamp. So, And this falls under stamp collecting, collecting yeah. as a whole. Well, yeah. Something oh, like yes. that yeah. be in the Scott's catalog? Or is yes. This oh, yes. Absolutely. You're kidding. Yeah. No. How many categories of stamps are there? A lot. Yeah. Like hundreds? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, not hundreds. Not but hundreds, but Scott has a lot of different catal- uh, categories. Well, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of different subjects just in revenue stamps. Well, a lot of the revenue stamps, the designations start with R. In the case of wine stamps, R-E is the designation that uh, Scott uses for wine stamps. I want to collect shellac-barreled stamps. That's that's all I want want now. If you (laughs) want to get more specific, R-E-A is beer stamps. Oh, cool. So it's related to liquor, so you have wine stamps and beer stamps. Also, remember that the first stamps were revenue stamps. Do they still make revenue stamps today? Yes. Do they still have something in the beer industry where they have to stamp something? Not nearly as frequently as they used to. Uh, Revenue stamps were a way of having accountable paper. It was a way to prove that something... So if you go to like the customs warehouse... Yeah, it sounds like shipping is involved. Yeah, a lot of times, yeah. Or inventory of some sort. And so that, uh, you know, things like that would be used to prove that when they did an audit that the tax had been paid on an item. Okay. Well, you're okay. in the 1880s, and a barrel of wine goes rolling down past it, and you're the revenue agent. You go, hold on, hold on, hold on. You know, you don't scan the barcode in the 1880s. Yeah, okay. You look at it and go, oh, there's the stamp. It's the shellac to the side. They paid it. You're off. Now, duck ones are still actually used today, right? They yes, have to they're have used on, on hunting licenses. Yes. Is there any others that are that prevalent, like used? Firearms. Really? Stamp? Yeah. If uh, When you transfer a... a That's a When you buy or sell a firearm, there has to be paperwork to show who's the buyer, who's the seller. I bought some guns in California. I don't remember no. a stamp. No, no, no. Where you see them mostly is from the movie industry because uh, you have to pay a $500 tax to transfer a machine gun. Well, who uses machine guns? 
Nobody uses machine right. gun. Right, uh, only licensed dealers and except yeah. except in the movies. Everybody in the movie has a machine gun, and every one of those machine guns had five hundred dollars. And somewhere there, every little... time it's transferred from one owner to the other, it's five hundred dollars. Right, damn yes. government. And every every machine gun that's used has they have the paperwork with it. So this this like two thousand dollar machine gun might have revenue, you know, like generated fifty thousand dollars. It's because it's been moved around so much. <laughs> you, you know, you know what she, when it comes to revenue stamps, you know what you need the most. Without going into Greg's other projects, he's working on our website stuff. But yeah. uh, you need uh, framed in your potential new office uh, marijuana tax stamps. That oh, I wonder if they or do that. Oh yeah. Or, yes, are they? And there's they, also narcotic tax stamps. Well, it, well, I'm dealing with a lot of the the uh, growers now too. Yeah. So it's going to be really interesting to see if I if I can grab any of those damn stamps. They're also you know out of it when i'm at one of the places i'll just peel the damn stamp off something throw it in my pocket bring well it they don't use no, no, they, they don't use them damn well, it well they actually never kind of use oh, i got them. all excited it's like a scratch and sniff no, no, no. stamps and <laughs> they, they, they made them they just never got used oh, oh okay. well and it's on purpose because they go uh, the federal government is sitting there saying we're going to make marijuana illegal <laughs> they go well how do we make marijuana illegal you we go, well, it. I got a good idea. Why don't we have a tax on it? And then when the people don't pay the tax, they're breaking federal law. Ah. And so all the light bulbs went off and they said, yeah, that's a great idea. But how do we do it? And they go, well, we issue the stamps. So in order for you to pay the tax, you had to ship your marijuana to the federal agency. They had to weigh it, certify it, and then you had to pay the tax and put the tax stamp on it. Which made no sense because you wouldn't ship an illegal product in the first place. And you wouldn't ship it. Ding, ding. Wily <laughs> bastards. <laughs> but could you see a sheet of, sheet of uh, marijuana tax stamps framed in your office? Oh, no. Yeah, I don't want wallpaper of that stuff uh, now. <laughs> no, 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 no. The, the marijuana tax stamps are incredibly valuable. Oh, bummer. They no, they're are not in, inexpensive. Not at all. Yeah. Maybe I'll get one stamp. Now, narcotic stamps on the other side, that was different because you had like cocaine and opium, and those were actually used by doctors. Yeah. So the <laughs> was doc- in Coca Cola at one time. Yeah. So the the doctors yeah. did actually pay that, and you do have used narcotic stamps, but you rarely have used. Uh, as a matter of fact, they say that there's only one place that was using the marijuana stamp, and that was the University of Min- uh, if they were Mississippi it, yeah. or. I forget what it was a it was a university in Mississippi where it was the only place that they were allowed to grow marijuana for research purposes. I'm sure that was a party school. <laughs> All the extra they didn't need just to use the, for research. Yeah. Just in the research department. <laughs> like yeah, everybody's dorm is for research. But yeah, narcotic stamps, you see those on a whole bunch of stuff. You know, some Midwest doctor will have his little uh, receipt and it'll have you know two ounces of opium on it and it'll have a little stamp <laughs> stuck to it. That's really neat. Yep. So, so but the marijuana stamps were part of the um, uh, part of the deaccession from the Smithsonian and mm-hmm. were sold like what 1997 I believe right. Right. They Would were you say um, deaccession? Yes. Yeah. What does that mean? Uh, yes. Where they take stuff that's been donated or given to them and then they get rid of it. I'm unfamiliar with that word. Yeah. Accession. So, you get it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. session you right. un-get it. Yeah, it's just you un-get, un-get it. it. Yeah. I don't think yeah. I've ever used that word or yep. heard it used. So they sold they sold sheets. They sold full sheets. They sold blocks. But then there was like, uh, at the end, there was um, there was like a, an auction lot 
that had all the rest and didn't Mystic buy it? <coughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. So they've got they've got a stock of of these things. Oh, I just learned about Mystic, the big catalog, uh, the big warehouse place that mm -hmm. ships like crazy. Yeah, that's interesting. That something like that is still so prevalent, right? Yeah. Yeah. And well, is it a U.S. based company? Yes. Oh, as a matter of fact, the uh, wine stamps were also through the DS session. Somewhere. Yep. Somewhere. And there were actually they actually sold off a couple of issues that um, were never actually used. Yeah, I think it was seven, seven different stamps. But they only sold a small number of copies. Right. They, there were, there were, uh, there was one stamp where they had pallets right. of sheets, and they sold three singles. Right. Three right. single sheets. Three single stamps out of these pallets of sheets, and they destroyed the rest because there were none in the collecting market. Mm. Or no, I think they, there was they, one used, right? It depends on which one Something you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. There were a couple different <clears throat> The cardinal like rule that. of collectability is if it wasn't made to be collectible and was never entered in collectible, it could be damn valuable. Yes. Well, well see, that's, that's and just it. And if it was it. made to be a collectible... It's crap. It's, it's crap. a beanie baby. Yes. That, that's, that's what they wanted to do because some of these issues are common and some of them were exceedingly rare. They wanted to not destroy the value of the exceedingly rare stamps so even though they had millions or tens of hundreds of thousands of copies they didn't want to destroy the the value of the handful that were out in the public so what they did is they only sold a very small number and destroyed the rest yep i'm telling you honestly you guys need to approach like somebody in hollywood i actually know a few people you you I would watch a show on beer stamps and that craziness that occurred and why and the marijuana one and mm -hmm. how it affect this freaking really fun history and if it was spun <laughs> and put the right way those yeah. would be an entertaining I, shows I spoke with a person you know you always from, think some yeah. guy just like here's my stamp but oh I'm sorry no this is awesome this is like people trying to mess with other people in weird ways of how they're getting things and doing stupid ass things destroying things making bad decisions yeah. it was a uh, that's, big that's controversy drama. at the time yeah that's fun yeah, there was a uh, person stamps could be at fun. the stamp show where it, which he spoke with me and Steve Patillo about marijuana stamps. Yeah. And it was for the History Channel. Nice. And they never just never got funded. Project Blue Book on the History Channel. Fantastic. You need to watch it. Oh, okay. okay. I yeah. just saw Hornblower. That was really good. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, that was off PBS, though. Yeah, God, the History Channel would fall in love with uh, someone. You had a good script writer, had some information. Do you guys know a writer? With all the stamp collectors you've been in contact with forever? If anybody well, out there can write screenplays, uh, please contact hell, Stamp just Show here today. Just a treatment. We, we're not that uh, needy, right? Just some ideas. Actually, yeah. You need, what, like two pages? Yeah. yeah if it's more than two pages, they don't want to read it. <laughs> exactly. So that's interesting. I mean, yeah, you funny, have, I have a friend who graduated San Francisco State University with a degree in creative writing. Why don't you contact Specializing him. in scripts. Yeah. It's, you know, this history thing is kind of a, a trend right now. And... You never know. You never know. It could uh, inspire a whole new generation. What? Wait, stamps aren't just postage? What? Yeah. I didn't know until I met you silly goose. Well, that's <laughs> one of the things, you know, that's why I my podcast is called Relics of History is, yes, there's stamp collecting and you can, you know, collect every stamp and put it in there. But these are really relics of history. These are pieces of history that you can hold, you know, a marijuana stamp and know the story about it. Yeah, this is cool. 
script and actually actually get somebody to dramatically script the marijuana tax stamp and it's timely make it a uh oh it's a absolutely podcast. Yeah, yeah. the farm bill that just passed and cbd and that now they're trying to figure out how long cbd is stable on the shelf so there's kind of hold up well, on the, the legislation the best part is, what is cbd the, it's a derived from hemp uh, the cbd be, oil it can be derived from marijuana too but it's uh it has no um effects on you other than uh, easing pain and maybe vitamins, things like that. It seemed, there's a lot of research into it, but it doesn't get you high. It's pretty interesting stuff. Hmm. It was outlawed with marijuana because hemp was uh, put into that. Yeah. Hemp, hemp, you make some fantastic cloth and rope out of. Oh, well, that's, the funny, the that's funny what happened is, in World War II. Uh, they went to all these marijuana growers. Oh, yeah. Well, hemp is a said, different plant completely. It's yeah. like 10 feet tall, 12 yeah. feet tall. Yeah, it's huge. But it was covered under the marijuana laws. Right, which you can't, you could smoke that whole damn forest and you're not going to get high and so they have these books there was the first issue of the marijuana stamp and then the second issue the first issue was the uh, little documentary stamps that were overprinted marijuana the second one was the red their red revenues the red revenues those came in books and almost all of those none of those came from the ds session well maybe some of them some did yeah but most of those came from the hemp growers during World War II, and they just threw these books at these people and said, we need 27 tons of nets. Yeah. Start okay. growing, and here's some books. Keep these on your shelves. It, it wasn't just nets. All the Navy ships. Yeah, oh, yeah. Their, uh, so more, it doesn't more, degrade it. It's wonderful material. Mooring lines and yeah. all sorts of rope for the, for the Navy as well. Right. They have synthetic stuff that might be better now, but it's not sustain sustainable. And it and hemp didn't pollute as well. As well uh, let me as tell well. you a little secret. They still use hemp rope Do they for, really? for tying up ships. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Because you can tell if it's going to go bad or not. Synthetic ropes... Um, Stretch and, and then just snap. and they can break yeah. without warning. And the snapback that you get, yeah. it's like snapping a rubber band. Right, and hemp you can tell can, can actually, by looking at it can actually shear off metal posts oh, and cut people in half. So they and this use... has actually happened. Oh my god! It's you know one of those safety things that they actually teach you, and you're required to see every so many. What happens years. when hemp, uh, hemp fails if it's pulled too tight? When hemp fails, um, it, it unravels. It's not it it. There's no, almost no snap, and uh, it creaks. There's a whole bunch of other signs, creaks. It's a it. very durable material. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, when you're when you're tying up an aircraft carrier, which is a hundred thousand tons <laughs> of metal. Yeah, the ropes are thick too. They're like what six inches across, eight inches across. When you're Maybe. tying up a ship that big, yeah, those ropes got they got a hold. Yeah. Funny thing, my friend who has a creative writing degree, you his girl, him. his girlfriend works in the CBD company. You really should. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I know the industry's weird now. You should really contact him. That, I don't know, just one treatment, one uh, pitch it to the right person. You guys an authority in the industry. You never know. Well, we actually, ha I actually have the guy's name from the History Channel. Yeah, it's worth a shot. Yeah. Isn't it true that if you ask any random person in California, how's the script coming, they'll have an answer for you? <laughs> the waitress, will ha she'll want you to read it. <laughs> she'll audition for a part. <laughs> there was a great movie. I, I forget which one it was. I think it's Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And the guy's running from the cops. And he runs down an alley, and there's a bunch of people waiting in line for in, you know a, what do you, a reading of a script or you know whatever. <laughs> and he runs up to the front and just to like, start crying because his friend just got killed by the cops. He's like, 
you know, discussing what's happening, and they're all looking at the script like, what the hell is he talking about? But they're engaged. They're like, wow, he's, wow, this is real. And they give him the part. And the cop runs in and like, oh, oh, no, sorry. Yeah, good luck, guy. You know, he, he, he didn't realize he was the guy who was chasing. He gave him good luck because probably the cop had a reading later that night. It's so California. That's Southern California. I won't say who, but I was like babysat by some famous people. It, it was ridiculous. Just California's weird. So. Been there. Anyway. We're going to keep discussing wine stamps. Are we all done for today? We were discussing wine stamps? Yeah. <laughs> How dare we? Yeah. There's, a, there's a script here? Shall we end abruptly? No. Let's finish. You should there, always there, end there, everything there, abruptly. There, there's there's Good like night. Ha, half a page here left. Let Tom finish reading and then, oh, okay. then we'll end. <laughs> we totally oh. just cut him off, didn't Cash, we? Cash wrote it, so I have to read it. <laughs> no. While the more common large format wine stamps were issued between 1916 and 1933, and these are all inscribed series of 1916. Go figure. Over 100 years ago. The $1 through through $2 denominations were offset printed, and the $4 through $9.60 denominations were engraved. The design of the engraved denominations also has a slightly different outer frame line. High denomination wine stamps were issued between 1916 and 1934. Didn't I just read this? Read it again so we really sink it in. No, this is different. Series of 1916 is different than Act of September 8th, 1916. Oh. Feels like history class, doesn't it? High denomination wine stamps were issued between 1916 and 1934. These stamps are all inscribed Act of September 8th, 1916. Is that like Act 1 or Act 2? The final large format wine stamps were issued between 1934 and 1940. These stamps are rouletted 7, and they are all inscribed series of 1934. Now, the 7 refers to the the distance between the little uh, perf, attachment, uh, perf attachments between the roulette cuts. And it's similar to a perforation gauge. The high-denomination wine stamps came into use when the law was changed, allowing revenue stamps to be affixed to the case rather than each individual bottle. Shellac that. You know, the frustrating thing about learning so much about stamps recently with you guys, you learn something about, I don't know, a car. You, you talk about something. You see it every day. So you like, for some reason, you talk about the Volkswagen. They're making the new bus, right? They're bringing back the bus. Now you're going to see the old Volkswagen bus driving around. You're just going to notice it. With stamps, I've learned all this stuff, but I don't notice it anywhere. It's frustrating. <laughs> I want to. I want to walk somewhere like, oh, that's a uh, revenue stamp, and guess what? This they used to select those, but I can't dispense that information. It's just welled up inside. It's very frustrating. The cross human. Congratulations, bear. you're a walking trove of useless information. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm out. Well, this has been episode number two hundred and three. This is Tom. This is Scott. This is Greg. This, this is Mark. This is Cash. You have been listening to Stamp Show here today, seeking to advance all levels of the stamp collecting hobby through news, information, and collecting advice. Visit us at stampshowheretoday.com to listen to the show, view images of the items we are talking about, and read the show notes. You can also continue the conversation on Facebook at Stamp Show Here Today and on Twitter at Stamp Show HT. If you have questions or comments about the show or have any topics you would like us to discuss, 
you can email us at stampshowheretoday at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, keep collecting. Never before have so few done so little for no one in particular. Stamp show here today. Stamp show here today. Stamp collecting happens when we dream together. Aw, come on, Dad!